Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to share with you tonight a verse that um, we have considered it before months and months ago when we spent such a long time in Psalm 23. But just last night, this particular verse just leaped out at me and every word of it came alive. And so without any reference to what I've said before, let me share just what is fresh on my heart tonight. And so Psalm 23 and verse 6, and we know it, uh, surely goodness and loving kindness and if you've got an old Bible or memorized from an old Bible, it would be goodness and mercy. But mercy is a very unfortunate translation of that in the 21st century language. And so loving kindness is far better. And so surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, as I say, we, we know the verse, we quote the verse, and we've already spent time on it in the context of the whole. But let me look at it just now, in this moment, as this verse applies to you and I. As we've seen before, David wrote this at probably the lowest time in his life. It was a trial, a trouble that he was going through that cut to his very heart in every sense of the word. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean, uh, because he wrote this when Absalom, his son, had risen up against him. It was civil war. And the uh, opposition to David was le le led by his son Absalom. And Absalom is coming to kill his own father and take his throne. David had to flee from the palace, flee from the city of Jerusalem, and leave it all behind and go off as a refugee into the wilderness beyond the river Jordan. And in that wilderness, he, he's attended by a very sparse army of faithful men. And uh, he has a little supply of food. It's a desperate situation. And, and Absalom knows where he is and is coming to get him. And so they're, they're coming down upon him. And he's uh, like a sitting duck in the wilderness. And at that time, he wrote uh, more than one psalm that addresses where his heart is at in the midst of such a terrible situation. 
and this of course is the most famous that he wrote and certainly we've got to get rid of the idea this is written by a little shepherd boy twanging his guitar while the sheep bleat this is a man at death's door you could say that this psalm is a postcard from the brink of death and he writes there surely goodness and loving kindness and so on now just look at it it's the words that leap out at me I mean it begins surely now that's a very strong word in English and certainly in the Hebrew language it's got um, a depth to it surely it, it means there's absolutely no doubt here no doubt it's sort of saying this one you can take it to the bank it's for certain for sure this is the expression in one word of confident expectation which is a phrase actually that is uh, uh, the biblical word hope this is not the word hope as it is used in English which um, in English basically means not a chance you know well I hope so no in in the Hebrew and in the Greek the whole biblical idea of hope is I am waiting in confident expectation for that which I know shall be uh, hope it is the leaping forward of the heart it is the seeing into the future and saying that God is with me God shall be with me and he shall perform his word and out of that you get a word like surely I am absolutely confident and so surely has in it an abandoned trust in who God is I I've got no more debate, no more discussions going on in my head. I'm abandoned to him, his love, and his word. He said, surely I am absolutely convinced. What of that goodness and loving kindness shall follow him every day of his life, including this day in which he's writing it. It, it means that he, he is pursuing me with goodness and loving kindness in this circumstance in which I find myself it means I am pursued and surrounded and overtaken by goodness and loving kindness even though there are other people who seek my life who would prefer to be the ones who overtake me and do their intention upon me but no he said goodness loving kindness it's for sure now the Hebrew word could also be translated as only they're sort of close together surely for sure and then this other word only but, but I throw it in because I, I, I like it only think about it only goodness and loving kindness follows me all the days of my life only I and mean, it's a strong word only that is nothing else only do, do you hear it only goodness and loving kindness just for starters it is very possible that David could have interpreted the events uh, as coming from God 
because in the not too distant past he had that sordid happening with uh, Bathsheba and um, it, it was when he wrote Psalm 51 and it, the, the guilt and the condemnation would be like arrows shot by Satan the accuser into his head especially at a time like this when everything yes I was going to say seems to be falling apart at this point in time it had fallen apart and the great King David is living in a Boy Scout tent out in the, the, the wilderness um, and, and so easily come on he's as human as we are and when you lay on your bed at night and everything's collapsing it is amazing how Satan can bring up past sins and mistakes and failures and shoot them like flaming arrows into our mind guilt, condemnation this is God, this is God punishing you David hurls it through the darkness only goodness and loving kindness pursue me all the days of my life God cannot be other than he is he's not in the punishing business God is not the condemner he is not the accuser that is specifically given in scripture as the name of Satan he's the accuser of the brethren not God not God he is the one who is original goodness he is the one who sworn his love loving kindness and he cannot be other than he is and, and it's all in this little word surely I'm absolute in these circumstances I don't waver in these circumstances I say only goodness and mercy and, and when I hear David say that I know there's some of you out there that need to stop for a second on this particular word and hear what it says would you understand me if I said the love of God when we, we say God is love the love of God or that uh, word that far better expresses it in the Greek language agape because it's got nothing to do with our human love which is fickle and, and up and down and no God's love agape would you understand me if I said is not ambiguous that is his love is not something that changes with the day this is not something like the weather God's love is not a mood that he has he's not in a good mood today or any day he is love get inside that incredible word is he is love it's his being and he cannot then be other than love that's who he is so there is no dark side to God because to hear some people talk you would think there is that yeah well you know you, you never quite know and, and therefore when any natural disaster comes or when terrible things happen in our family they turn immediately and say it's God God's doing this God's punishing God's sending the hurricane he swept through with the tornado it's God he's punishing us there's got to be a reason somebody it's almost like witchcraft you know there's somebody in here that causes this 
and usually blame a people group and say that it's because of their sin that this disaster came. It's ambiguous. And, and such persons w- would live on, on the edge of a religious anxiety that they can never fully rest into God's love because, well, you know, maybe, perhaps, and if I keep up my good work, and no, you see, uh, that would lead me immediately to on what basis does David or any person say, surely and only... God's goodness pursues me. On what basis does one say that? Seriously. On what basis can you be so sure we don't even bother to talk about it again except to give thanks to God? Something is beyond debate. Surely, that's it. Done. It's beyond all those discussions that go on inside the head. It's a matter of putting your foot down, slamming the table and say, only the goodness, loving kindness of God follows me. How does a person get to that? And I have to throw it out, though I know that most of you would understand. It's not by performance. Although when I say that most would understand, I find in conversation that that may not be true when the chips are down. It's not by performance. My my life lived out does not control how God feels about me. Can can I say that again? That, That my behavior does not change the being of God. If God is love, I can't change that. Who do I think I am that I can I can just do this little thing and, and throw the whole Godhead into confusion that now he, he's not sure whether he can love me? No, no, no. God is love. And, and, and that is the end of it. My, my performance is always in fluctuation. My performance, um, well, go back to David. I mean, right in this situation, if you read the whole story of David and, and get in, in between the lines here and there, you, you will find that David had been a very poor father. In fact, the whole family was, we would say today, very dysfunctional. And, and I mean, between the brothers, there, there was terrible things going on. Um, there was sexual abuse with the sister. That was terrible. And David didn't do anything about it, you see. And the result of it all was, well, Absalom went his own way and zeroed in on his father. And, and, and so if, if with this goodness and loving kindness certainly was not based upon David's performance, would you get that? Take the halo off David's head. Take that fluffy, white, holy beard away from him. Let him be the man that he really is. He did not earn by performance this absolute assurance. Let me say this. The whole system of doing something in order to somehow please God to evoke his love toward me which incidentally is the whole system of religion wherever you might find it. Um, That system, have you ever thought of this, began 
at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil. That is, from that mankind in eating of the fruit put his teeth into a system that the Lord had warned them ahead of time was a system that inevitably produced death. The whole system, I've, I've, I've got to do right, I've got to behave good. Yeah, and, and that good has been determined by me and probably by some religious leader. And if I do that good and do enough of that good, then God will accept me. And if I don't do that good, if in fact I do evil, which I've decided about what is evil, and my church leader probably did that too, um, the result will, you know, it's a system. I use that word very carefully. A word used in the scripture, of course, is law. But maybe we need a new word to just slam it home to us. It's a system of living. It's a, it's a system in which we think we can approach God, but it was the deadly poison that came into the race with sin. No, let me say it once and for all, never did David do something that enabled him to say, surely and only goodness and loving kindness will follow me. Then where do you get it? You are trusting in who God has revealed himself to be. Not in your performance, but in the being of God. I do not trust in the name Malcolm Smith and all the behaviors attached to that name. I do not trust that. I do not lean on that. Rather lean upon who God has revealed himself to be which he did specifically in Jesus and he announced that he had dealt with sin and he had brought us into a righteous walk with him all through Jesus and all I can do is say thank you behind this little world surely that there is the announcement of who God is and David's abandonment to that. Does that make sense? Um, David trusted who God is. He trusted the covenant oath that God had sworn declaring that he is love and he will go to any extent in order to bring us into union with himself. Could I say this, that as we thus believe upon God, trust ourselves, lean our whole selves, put the weight of our being upon who God has declared himself to be specifically in Jesus, that we, it says, are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It means that we have the same unearthly assurance of acceptance by God as Jesus himself has. And I hear that echoed in this word, surely. But, as I've been saying, his assurance was that goodness and loving kindness would follow him all the days of his life. What's goodness? You ever ask that question? Goodness, good. What, what is that? 
well, just for starters, do you remember in Exodus, I think, 33, where Moses, in his passion to know God, he said to him, show me your glory. Do you remember that? Moses said, show me your glory. And the response, see, when I... I mean, as a growing up kid, I, I thought that would mean he would see some golden sparkles. And, you know, the Lord says, yes, I'll show you my glory. I will cause my goodness to pass before you. That's fascinating. The very glory of God, the outradiance of who he is. He summed it up in the word goodness and said, if you would see my glory, if you would see the radiance who I truly am, I'll make my goodness to pass before you. The goodness of God. We have come to the very heart and being of God. Didn't Jesus say, there's none good but one that is God. God is good. The Psalms all attest to that. God is, God is love. God is good because good and love are intertwined together. In many senses, goodness is a great big umbrella word and, and, and it touches the whole of creation, God's goodness. What does it mean? Well, it would take you some time to go through the Bible and see how this word is used and from that deduce what it means I did it for you so <laughs> let me tell you the word it, it's long it's long we, we have come to, to look at this incredible father and son and holy spirit from every possible angle God is good that means the word good means beautiful when we look at the being of God, truly, without the lens of religion obscuring the view, He's beautiful. The beauty of God, that resonance, when you see something of beauty and you stand in a moment you're breathless and realize that there, within that, and we call it beauty because of the harmony and the harmony that leaps out and harmonizes us to it. He is beautiful. And just reel off the aspects of his beauty, his love and his gentleness and his kindness and his patience and his compassion and his tenderness we could go on the beauty of God and, and the word good also means delightful the, the true God of scripture causes delight to rise within us in response to the fact he is delightful remember God is good so it, he is beauty he is its origin he is the source of all that is delightful. And of course, the, it would go, but I, it's, it's one of the way the words used, it means best, the best. And from that also, the better. He is the best. He transcends all creation. It also means precious. 
God is the ultimate preciousness. I could stop a lot on all these words. But the word also, good means bountiful, which means that, that it's full of life, overspilling life. Of course, in him there is no death. And, and Jesus entered into our death and killed it and has risen from the dead with a deathless life. And, and so it is not merely in the abstract that, that God is deathless life. He is the life that has overcome death itself. That, that, that's a radiance, that's a power that you can touch. And so from that one would say, he is fruitful. That, that is, he, he's ever bringing forth. He, he's ever in, in the, what can I say, the, he is the potent. We say sometimes omnipotent. It, it means the potential within him of his life is beyond all human vocabularies in any language you choose. This is God. He is, oh, it's almost an uh, uh, insult to say it, uh, he is pro-life to the limitless degree. Of course, he is life. Therefore, there cannot be any desire or looking at death. He is pro-life, which means he is pro-health. This dynamic God. You could say that if you're going to put an age upon God, you should get rid of all those pictures of some ancient crone with wizened face and beard and trembling. No, he's not ancient. He is the, the bursting forth of life. He is the very being of, well, I would say healthy. In fact, the word holy means health. It means whole, or it means good. Huh. That's good, that's God. And along with that, the word is used in the scripture to describe prosperity, success, wealth, yes. When I come to God, there is nothing that even smells of poverty. He is the infinite source that supplies every need out of the endless resources that he is within himself. And whenever we put our hands to do, he himself gives himself as the success. I mean, I know religion has taught you, but really, just think about it. Do you think that God's into failure? I know religion would tell you that. But that's the rubbish that goes along with religion. You know, there's not one micro part of, of, of creation that isn't an absolute success. And that's after the fall. Amazing. Amazing. And, and this word good, God is good, it means festive. It was a word describing festivities parties, joy to the max. It described joy on top of joy on top of joy, which we translate as rejoice or re-keep on doing joy. 
It describes in Scripture gladness of heart. It even, in our maybe older translations, it's given merriness. I mean, that's grabbing hands and dancing, folk dance around, you know. It means pleasure. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now this is not... See, holiness is not that miserable, sad face and bent neck and banging on your chest and saying, I'm no good, I'm worthless. Holiness is grabbing hands and giving praise to God and expressing joy in such a God of love. Mm -hmm. Good. He is good. The word is used to describe being at rest. Ah, no religious anxiety. No labor to try and please. He's the one that gathers us into his rest through Jesus so that we are satisfied, so that we are content. Or another word there would be the peace of God that passes human comprehension. It's even translated as grace. It's the givingness of God until I'm satisfied. It's translated as favor and blessing fulfilled. This is, God is good. I feel like saying to some people, may I introduce you to someone you can't even believe exists. Because the idea that people have of God is so satanically twisted and distorted. What I've just said here it sounds almost uh, like um, false doctrine. But God is good. Is, is, is good. That is. This that I've just described of him is not something he has. It's, this is not, you know, he's in a good mood today. No, this is who he is. And he cannot be any other way. His goodness, you see, is not something he has that he will give you a bit of. He gives you himself. For he is the goodness. He is. He is the fullness. He is the origin of all this facets of goodness. He is that. He's the source. Limitless. Uh, just a minute, go back. Surely, that first word, surely, only. Wow. This he draws us into union with himself and said, This I will be to you in all the days of your life. Surely. Be assured. Rest in this. This is, this is the will of God. This is what he has given us. This is one aspect of eternal life. For eternal life, says John 17, 3, is knowing the Father, which means an intimate personal knowledge, and an intimate personal knowledge of Jesus. For God is good. So intimate personal knowledge is coming into union with. He gives us this. And he gives Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, God who is actually here and now with us in our most intimate core selves. And what does it say of him? The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. 
He produces God's own goodness within us. So it becomes the attitude and the seeing and the living of each one of us. Hmm. Only, only goodness, only. I, 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 I'll just say it one more time. You see, we might have lost our way. Somebody watching, listening right now could have fallen into areas of sin. You could have come into failure or you could be just plain stupid and messed up your life. Only goodness pursues you. Only God's goodness it pours out of his heart to you right now. It cannot be any other way. You can turn and look straight in his face and know that his eyes are kind and compassionate and gentle, without condemnation, without anger. He loves you and he's embracing you with goodness. Goodness and loving kindness. We've talked about this word before. It is God's love that is underscored and undergirded by covenant blood. And as I've said before, it's very hard to put a word on this Hebrew word because we don't make covenants anymore in the West, that is. We're, we're too sophisticated, we're too greedy, so we, we make co contracts instead, which is the exact opposite of a covenant where, where contracts said I don't trust you so if you don't do what you say here I'll sue you whereas a covenant is I love you and I give myself to you even if it kills me to do so Good, t totally opposite and so, and so what is this word loving kindness well I like that word but then I know about covenant um, if you don't know covenant this word Maybe we should translate it unfailing love. That's a good one. Or maybe we should say, um, I love you until death. Uh, but that's not enough because he loves us beyond death. A and when he died in order to keep his covenant to us, he rose from death. But, but the, the, the idea there, it, it means a faithful love. A faithful love for which there is no word in any language where covenants are made. There's no word to describe a broken covenant. It's amazing. Where people keep the covenant, they do not have a word in their language to describe a broken one because to them it cannot be broken. Well, this is it, isn't it? He loves you and he made a covenant and he swore an oath upon his own being that said, if I don't keep my love to you, then God would cease to be. That's faithful. He cannot fail. Or the New Testament puts it, it is impossible for God to lie. Only Satan lies. Every lie is straight from the belly of Satan. God can't lie. He's love, and love can never lie. He's loyal, unfailing, constant, committed love. He can never walk out on you. He can never be disgusted with you. He's never ashamed of you. 
He stands with you. It's a fixed, intentional love by which he never changes his mind about you. It's a determined love, covenant love. Let let me read to you from Hebrews 13 from the Amplified Bible. Have you ever got Amplified? It does just that. It pulls out all the meanings of the Hebrew and Greek words. And in our version, which is, I mean, it's a good enough translation in English, of course, but it, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you remember that? Which is this word. Uh, th- th- this word is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's loving kindness. But the Greek words there are so potent, we can't translate them into English. It wouldn't make sense. So let me read it from the Amplified Bible. This is what it says in the original language. For God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Yeah, I'd like to read that again, but time flashes by. That's loving kindness. See? Uh, Maybe that says anything that I would try to say. He says to each one of us, I am the Lord, I change not. His his love, sealed with covenant blood, cannot change, as his goodness cannot change. Okay. Surely, only goodness and this committed covenant love shall follow me. That probably is... And I'm quoting now from a Hebrew dictionary that is talking about this word. And they said in the dictionary that this word shall follow me is the weakest possible way to translate the word here in the Hebrew. It means surely goodness and mercy shall relentlessly pursue me day and night. He is the God who relentlessly pursues us. The word also could mean he chases us. Incidentally, the burden of the scripture is not that we chase God, but he chases us. That's the, the wonder of the grace of God. Have you seen that? You ever woken up and realized that you were the object? Oh, blessed. I'm the object of his relentless pursuing. And mine is a response to such a pursuit. The word here is active. It's not a passive word. It means that the act of pursuing is, is, is on. He's, he's actually doing it. He's pursuing Now, interestingly, the word is translated usually um, as pursue. Uh, Why they would choose this one time when to put follow, which is such a... uh, No, this is... 
active, pursuing. But usually it is used to describe enemies who pursue. Offhand, and I think I'm right, this is the only time in Scripture where it's used to describe God pursuing. Normally I say again, it was enemies. And it's used to describe persons who pursue um, someone who murdered a relative and they are now pursuing to get revenge. Oh, yeah, it's an aggressive word. I mean, you're, you're not sitting down you're just talking about. This is, you're up on your horse and your sword is drawn and you are pursuing. That's the word. The word is always used in the scripture to describe an intent. It, it, it means you've got a strategy, you've got a plan. You've had your counsel, now you are pursuing. I say again, with intent. You're not out there on your horse chasing a butterfly. No. You know, you're after someone. You're after someone. You're, <clears throat> you're not going to let them get away. Believe me, you're not. You're focused in your mind and your passion. Your will. You're in this to the end. It's quite a word, you know. That, all that that I just said is, is in this word follow. <laughs> See why it doesn't fit, does it follow? No, th th this is you, the only way you could say this is relentlessly pursue. And in this same fashion in this one verse it turns the whole lot around to describe God's love and goodness his covenant commitment he is <laughs> He's got his eyes on you, but they're eyes that blaze with love. He's got his eyes on you, but everything concerning his being that pursues you is goodness. He comes to fulfill his sworn oath of covenant to love you. And he won't let you go. Go back and read that Hebrews 13. He won't let you go. When he relentlessly pursues, that they, Jesus spoke about this, but he used another word. He said that he had come to seek. That's see, seek, same idea as this word. I, I am going to pursue until I find. That's the word he used in Luke 15. The shepherd went into the wilderness seeking. The lost sheep. And it says, the, the words of Jesus, seek until he find it. Which means I'm not going home unless I have the sheep in my arms. That's relentless. That's love. Uh, please, don't, don't just sit back on a Sunday and, and just think of some sort of abstract floating God. Or the man upstairs and he's just sort of... I, I, I don't know what some people mean they say God is love but they, they, it doesn't affect them in the least no God's love is aggressive God's love is relentless God's love a strategy and a plan he is 
determined. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. The whole being of Father and Son and Holy Spirit is focused. Herein is the passion and the will of God to let you come to know His goodness and His love. What's God going to get out of this? See, that's agape. Agape is selfless, which is not a very exciting word in English, but then humankind is selfish, and so they're not really into selfless. God loves you because he's love. He doesn't love you to get something out of it. when he lays hold upon you and when he draws you to himself therein is the fulfillment and so in the parables of Jesus the shepherd said rejoice with me because I have found my sheep which was lost and we are drawn into the joy the delight the song of the father and son and spirit over you He sings his song, fills the atmosphere around you with the song of his love. And his blessings pour forth out of his goodness. And it says in Deuteronomy 28, all these blessings shall overcome. They shall catch up with you and overcome and, and you'll be drowned in blessing. He the Holy Spirit pursues us to the deepest places of our life, fills the darkness with enlightenment. He's pursuing. He pursues you to teach you. He pursues you to guide you into all truth. Um, I, I think it's, you know, if you thought you could escape this love, have another thought. He pursues us and he pursues us only with goodness and loving kindness. And his pursuit of us overtakes and overwhelms all the enemies that would pursue us. David wrote this when Absalom was pursuing him. And he says, your goodness and your loving kindness pursues, that is, you're ahead of Absalom and you have me carried in your goodness. But then he looked ahead, which was faith in itself, because by the look of things he hadn't many days to live. But he looks ahead, all... Huh, surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. This is intensely personal. It is true to say us there, for it applies to every believer that has set uh, an eye upon the love of God. But there's a time when it, it's me walking through this, and I lay hold upon his love and say, all the days of my life, all the days very strong, all, all the, I mean, it means the, the whole thing, all. There's nothing excluded all the days of my life. It means everything. 
It means anything that should happen. It means the total everything. And just in case you, you've got other ideas, the word day there is the, the word which means 24-hour day. It, it means that all the 24-hour days of my life, all my regular old days, uh, days at school, days at work, days in the home, days at play, days in the middle of darkness and troubles and trials, whatever, the total... Whatever a day holds, whether it's a day full of joy or a day where potential for frustration and anger, potential even for a meltdown because of people, because of events and situations, whatever it is, that day, that day, you see, this isn't something in the past, the day in which I'm now living, right now, as the clock tick-tock, tick-tock, this day, this day, now, he is pursuing, never stops. He's right there in this, right where I am. He has strategy, wisdom for this moment. His goodness is waiting to be revealed here. Let's see. <laughs> see, he does not send, I think I've said this, but he doesn't send, nor does he initiate evil days. I know religion tries to put that meaning on anything bad that happens, that somehow this is God teaching you a lesson. Uh, well, if that was the case in today's courts, he would be probably in prison for a child abuse. No, God isn't like that. He's goodness. Jesus said there's only one who does others, the thief. He comes to steal and kill and destroy, and his name is Devil. And he's got a lot of henchmen, too. No, he comes to do good. Joseph looked at his brothers who had kidnapped him and sold him as a slave, you remember? And when all is turned around, and he's now prime minister, basically, of the world, and he looks at his brothers and says, You... You meant it for evil. God had nothing to do with it. You meant it for evil. Ah, but God intervened in what you meant, and he meant it for good. That, that's God. He comes and he foils all satanic plans. He trips over all silly human plans that were against us. And he means it for good. That's what it means to say, seek the Lord. You're seeking the Lord. That doesn't mean that you're looking for him as lost. It means that in the middle of days of darkness and confusion, days like David's, at that moment I remind myself, he and his goodness are here in this moment. He and his goodness and loving kindness are here. What is it you want me to see, Lord? What, what, what aspect of your goodness are you revealing to me in this situation? As, as David, in the middle of that situation, he got an understanding of his own life wrapped in God that gave us these psalms that have strengthened persons for millennia. 
What, what is he revealing? You see, you're seeking to see what God is up to because you know he's here. And you know that in his wonderful wisdom, he shall, he'll overcome this evil by showing you something of himself that will expand you to be bigger than this situation. See, no, no one can make you angry. No one can make you frustrated. I know I'm talking very fast, and I should say that very slowly. <laughs> but think about it. Who are you? Some football that people kick around? And, and that person puts a funny face at you and says nasty things. You made me angry. Who are you? Come on. You chose to respond with anger. If his goodness pursues me into this minute, I make another choice. I choose to respond by being challenged by his goodness. I see an opportunity for his goodness in this moment, and I choose not to be angry, but to think on, have the attitude of, and ask the Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see the goodness that is being revealed in this moment. Well, that, that probably deserves another hour, doesn't it? Well, sometimes we meet these days with complaint and with whining, and we, we get plenty to join us in that, you see. Self-pity which turns to victim which turns to anger, blaming God and all the rest of it. Stop, stop. Be still and recognize his, only his goodness is here. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see what it is you're revealing of yourself to me here and now. What strength of goodness, what joy of goodness are you putting in me even in this moment? in this day of my life all the days of your life from babyhood to old age every day in between he would reveal his goodness to you and in you and through you he would undergird you with his loving kindness strengthen you with that love and cause you to be a lover in the midst of this world and then which certainly I've got to quit, but the last phrase there, surely I, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, I almost would prefer not to talk about it because I would have to explain, but just let me say it is the opinion of every scholar. This is not just me. Um, persons who wouldn't go where I've gone in the last hour but they agree on this that it actually reads there I will return to dwell um, David was saying as he sat in the situation that he was in he said that he would return that is I'm going home I will return to dwell in the house of the Lord and you see we say forever but the Hebrew people could not think that 
Now, that might sound strange to you, but they had no way of thinking something as abstract as forever. They, they couldn't. So, actually, the Hebrew words there are year after year after year. So, he is saying, I am going to return this day of darkness, though naturally speaking, I cannot see a way out of it. But I will return and make my dwelling in the house of the Lord year after year after year. All that parallels with what we just said all the days of my life. House of the Lord. What's the house of the Lord? The house of the Lord was the temple. But David is going somewhere here where very few others in the Old Testament went. He saw a day. He saw a dimension to life where I would dwell in God's presence and the house of the Lord would be where I lived even though I was not in a physical temple. For in the Old Testament, the presence of God, the glory of God, which is His goodness, dwelled in the temple. It was like a shimmering cloud in the Holy of Holies. And only the priests went inside there. The Levites were the deacons who worked around, and the high priest alone went into that Holy of Holies, into that shimmering presence once a year. But David, who was not a priest, but he said, I would dwell, I would make my home in that presence. He was anticipating us. For you see, what did Jesus do? He not only embraced us and carried us to death, so that all the twisted, broken persons we were were carried and buried in his tomb. But he raised us out, and it says, to be seated with him in heavenly places. That is, in the immediate presence of the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy of Holies would no longer be a room inside a temple made of bricks. It would be where we live. And so I'm sitting here in in my, my, my study, but really I'm seated at the same time in, in the presence, in the glory of God. And you sit there listening to me, and you too, uh, in two worlds at once. And if, if that little phrase isn't enough, what did Jesus mean when he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That is, he was saying, heaven would come to earth. Well, it is so. When the Holy Spirit came, heaven came to earth, and we, that's, that's being a Christian. See, it isn't going to heaven when you die. It's going to heaven when you recognize I died with Christ and I am now raised and I dwell in the presence. That's it. And he says, don't you know that your body is, and the Greek word there is the Holy of Holies, where the Holy Spirit, the presence of God lives. 
And First Peter 2 says, don't, don't you know, you're the stones that make up the temple. You are a, a priesthood of a different order. You dwell inside the glory of God. This is who you are. This is who you are. Well, as I said, they probably needed a lot more. But have you got this? Have you got it? Would you do? Would you make this your confession every day? And you know what confession means? Is it, con is a Latin word with fashion. You are saying the same thing as you are saying the same thing as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You you are making their thoughts your thoughts and your life every day at least once or twice or three times surely only goodness and loving kindness covenant committed love will and is relentlessly pursuing me in this day of my life where I dwell in the house of the Lord forever year after year after year let it be so let it be so and now the blessing of God who is unending love limitless goodness may he bless you in granting the Holy Spirit to enlighten you and teach you and guide you into this truth of who you truly are. So I bless you. And so it is.